Shalom and thank you for listening to Progressively Jewish, the podcast where you can explore and connect to Judaism through a progressive Jewish lens. I'm Rabbi Richard Jacobi and it's my pleasure to host this week's episode for the portion of Devarim, which begins the book of Deuteronomy and continues through to chapter 3 verse 22. The theme of this week's podcast is leadership, and I will be exploring it with the help of Rabbi Daniel Lichman and Debbie Danon, who are connected not only through long-standing friendship, but also through their roles at Makor Chaim Congregation based in Northwest London. It is a slightly longer than usual episode, but I hope you will find it very interesting as I did when I was facilitating the discussion. To explore the topic of leadership with me are two leaders who share in the task of leading a Jewish congregation. Rabbi Daniel Lichman is the rabbi of Makor Chaim community um, and Debbie Danon is the a co-founder of um, Makor Chaim and also its current vice chair. Outside of her synagogue commitments she is an executive coach, a specialist in inclusive leadership and her coaching practice, Debbie Danon Time to Flourish, seeks to support people to live and lead with ever-deepening authenticity and courage. And uh, those, I think, are words we're going to pick up as we go through this. Um, and uh, I, I love the self-definition you gave me um, in advance, which is that you see yourself as a progressive Sephardi Jew and how we identify is always um, vital. So welcome, Daniel. Welcome, Debbie. It's lovely to have you both here. Thank you so uh, much. It's a delight to be here. Yeah, hi. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Thank you. So the jumping off point for this week's theme of leadership stems from Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 13, in which Moses is pictured recounting the story of being in the wilderness and finding the work too great. Here in Deuteronomy, you could argue God or Moses himself is the consultant who's made the uh, striking conclusion, reached the striking conclusion that it's too much work for one person. And um, the comparison obviously is with Exodus where that advice came from his father-in-law Jethro and it's one of the curiosities of Torah that the text in Deuteronomy has such a different feel to it to that in Exodus, which we might come back to later. But the key verse has Moses telling the people, Havu lachem anashim chachamim unuvonim, viduim lishivtechem, vaasimem baroshechem. Choose for each of your tribes individuals, and I know if we're being precise, the Hebrew is saying men, and we may want to pick that up as well, who are wise, who are understanding, and who are of good reputation, and I will make them leaders over you. So my first question to both of you, in the context of leading generally and in synagogue communities specifically, 
is what in your opinion makes a good leader and I wonder Debbie if I might start with you. Yeah thank you Richard there's so much richness in that one sentence of what Moses tells the people. It stru struck me as I read this and as I he heard you read it as well how there are qualities of leadership that we might cultivate. So here, the ones that are listed are wisdom. So that to me is about discernment, is about recognizing where to put energy and where not to put energy as it were, what to respond to um, and not reacting, not kind of being hasty, but really responding from a place of, um, of Torah or of, of, of kind of moral integrity as well. I think understanding for me, it's funny, we could go down be now, is of, it could be kind of cognitive understanding, but also intuitive and emotional and compassionate understanding potentially. So I think that there are there are there are those. They talk about the two wings um, of the bird: the wisdom and the compassion. And and the bird can't fly without both. So I think there's there's something really powerful in this. And also there's the um, the idea of, uh, of of good reputation, which to me immediately for for those uh, those of us uh, listening, perhaps who have a background in Jewish education. Um, I learned so much from my Jewish youth movement. It's definitely been, um, you know, the seeds of where I've ended up today. And the idea of dugmai sheet, of acting in such a way as you would want others to follow you, seems to me really important because, in a way, the way you're being is how you will be spoken of when you're when you're not there, and how you'll be regarded. And I guess um, so. I, so I guess I can see so much richness and possibility in all of those. And I want to add another lens to this, which is in this. Um, sort of job spec there's no talk about motivation there's no understanding of who the where, for what for what reason for the sake of what are these leaders deciding to step up and I think in synagogue leadership I've seen um, this I, I've, I've led various different communities pop-up communities established communities over the years and I think there's something really interesting about the the um, the tension between ego-driven leadership and uh, and service-driven leadership to the point of martyrdom, let's say. So some people get involved and will be very much all about, I wanna be the macher, I wanna be the person at the center of it all, I wanna have the glory, I wanna be invited out with the mayor or whatever it might be, but might not be actually in service. Or it might be at the other end of the spectrum of being such a servant, such a sort of sacrificial leader that um, your own needs and your own uh, motivations, your own wants, what you even wanted to get out of it in the, in the first place gets flushed away with all that goodwill and actually you end up being resentful. So I think maybe that final thing I'll say on this uh, for now, and I'd love to hear what, what Rabbi Daniel has to say, is as well as the qualities of leadership, I think we need to have some integrity in our motivation to find the sweet spot between what really drives us and gets us excited, which is our, our ego, and what we want to serve, what we want to create in the world, what vision we have for others and for the world we live in, um, and not veering too far in, in either direction, which I think um, some, I think some of us, all of us probably struggle with at times. So um, I hope that, that kicks us off a little bit. It certainly does and gives us a lot to think about and adds, as you suggested, an extra layer. And those those values that, the, that we carry with us as individuals, uh, as human beings, and that play out in our leadership roles are undoubtedly an aspect we need to focus on. So Daniel, come, come at it from your perspective, please. Well, the... Uh, for, uh, 
I, I'm very moved by having by listening to Debbie, and I'm moved by the kind of insights that are, that are possible from from the, from the conversation between us. And I think one of the things I really appreciate about uh, me being a rabbi, working with incredibly wise and insightful um, lay people such as such as Debbie, is the joy of translating between between different systems. So one of the things that I really see it as my job to bring as a rabbi is to bring the language of Torah. And so now what, I'm, what I'd love to do is respond, is basically kind of translate what Debbie said into, into Torah as I kind of see it, and then to see how the conversation goes from there. The first thing that I was struck by, and I'm incredibly moved by this, because this I've never seen before, that Debbie, when you were describing this, you pointed out that it's chokma, chachamim unvonim viduim which is chokhma bina da'at, right? What's chokhma bina da'at? In the Kabbalistic system, chokhma bina da'at are the upper spherot, right? They're, they're at the top. And the, any kind of like wisdom needs to, any kind of flow <laughs> or the flow of spirit or the possibility of the shekhinah coming to dwell has to come, like kind of comes, well, it's complex in the sense that it can kind of, you can go up or you can go down. But this is the upstream, right? This is coming from, coming from above. So, I'm, so that's really, really interesting, that, that, that thing. And what that calls us to, I think, is to think about revelation. And um, I don't want to read the... So, uh, so we're, we're, we were here looking in Dvarim, and as Richard pointed out, this, in, this, is, this is repeating the story from Shemot. And in Shemot, it's Yitro speaking. And um, so I, I think we should, we should pay attention to that in the sense that maybe we have to work in the kind of human realm where any kind of speech is, that we are able to be with is through is spoken through human beings. When Moshe gets to the point of Devarim, maybe Moshe is able to see that all along God was speaking through human beings. And at the point that we're operating, like Debbie and I, when we're on the work that we're doing in building this community, we're, we're, we're firmly people trying to work out how to do this, trying to work out how do we build this Mishkan? Like, how, how, how do we do it? And the... Uh, and, and, and we're doing that as the, as the people. And maybe in a long time, we'll be able to discern what were the moments in our leadership where it was actually kind of like speaking through a kind of re more revelatory voice and when it was something beyond speaking to us. And that really speaks to what you were saying about the uh, about uh, ego-driven leadership or other kind of leadership. And, and I guess like the key thing for us to remember with the story of Yitro, which we forget, is that Yitro wasn't just Moses' father-in-law. He was the priest of Midian. Moshe was angry, he killed someone, he ran away. Just like in Gan Eden, where Adam and Chava, that God is calling Ayeka and they can't hear because they're scared, they run away. Moshe runs away. He can't understand how the anger that he feels is a divine anger. And then he becomes an apprentice to a priest in Midian who has already led his people, who is already an elder, who is already the master of something. And Moshe, as the priest of Midian, is then able to have a soul encounter experience. He goes off into the um, into the desert, um, and it's a really interesting moment about why the, you know I, I kind of wonder whether Yitro kind of set that up for him. I, I think you can read the verse there in the beginning of Shemot to read as though Yitro kind of set it up for him. And Moshe goes out into the waters and he has this soul connection experience. And what does the soul connection tell him? God says to Moshe. This injustice that you feel, this anger that you feel is because of injustice. And there's a, there's a vision that you can have that you can have for that. So I, I think what in me seeking to kind of translate what Debbie said back, kind of back or into or, or bring it to Torah, um, it just kind of comes to this point about vision, about having a sense like egoless leadership 
requires a sense of like who are we in service of and who are we in service of has to be for me as a you know as a rabbi of a, a jewish organize of a synagogue which ha which has a vision and we have an understanding that our vision is just bigger than any of the selves and ultimately it's got to be in service of the mukohayim the source of all life thank you daniel that that's fascinating and and a couple of things if I, I could add and, and distill from what you've both said. Um, the, the art of any leadership is what you suggested about translating systems or translating between systems. And um, as Debbie, I'm sure you've experienced in your coaching business, um, it's how people take an idea that's worked somewhere else and adapt and adopt it into their own system that is critical to whether they have a chance of success or not um, and there's there's something in me that's pondering in response to what you were just saying Daniel whether part of what Moses is doing is realizing that if he were to say to this new generation in Deuteronomy my father-in-law told me this and by the way my father-in-law isn't a you know an Israelite he's a Midianite and and so on and he suggested we should organize this way that that maybe actually it wouldn't have gone down that well that maybe this this next generation might not have valued that so much it wasn't the message they needed to hear and maybe he had to edit um and i'm, I'm not sure that's right and i'm not sure i'll feel like that in half an hour's time but but there is something about how do we adapt messages how do we adapt the way we deliver something so that people can can feel like it it works for them that is is a constant tension it also goes against the principle and i'm sure daniel you would come in and correct me of bashay monroe that he's denied the authorship of of this that was there in shamot so you know there's, there's some ethical tensions here but i do think we have something about that responsibility and then you ended, Daniel, with the Makor Chayim, the source of life that we have to be in service of. And I also think there's something about um, leadership is of the people. And so leadership can only lead where some people are willing to follow. And you can't be a leader if you don't have followers. And so therefore, there's something about our focus is not only on the divine, but is also on the divine within the people we are seeking to lead and how we can nurture that and bring that out. Um, and, and so there's there's a lot there about um, perhaps, and that's where these people had to have those three upper spherot, as you said, in order to be able to tune in to the people that they're working with, that they're leading and so on. Go on then, Daniel, you want to respond. Yeah, yeah I'd, love to I'd love to come back on some of this. I think the, I think the key thing to, def I've got a lot on my mind um, in, in response to this. I'd actually like to just bring in a new, a new metaphor, a new way of thinking about it, because it's ultimately this question of like, wait, what's the purpose of our leadership? And I, I'm thinking here as a rabbi of leading a synagogue, that's kind of what, what's on my mind. And I want to, yeah, I'll bring in this kind of new metaphor. So how I think about it is that we're, we're on a ship, so uh, Debbie is a senior lay person in the community. So she is she is the skipper on the ship with other people, not on her own, or she's the helms person. She's got a major role on the ship with a crew of other people. 
And my job is to sometimes be on the kind of, my job as um, kind of like a t teacher of Torah is to sometimes be on the deck with the kind of people and reading the, reading the waves and reading the tidal current and reading the wind. But my main job is to, um, is to like study the charts, to study the navigation, to understand like, where are we going? And then it's to stand up on the deck and look out at the sea, given, the, given what we've seen in the navigation. And what I'm seeking in the charts, and the chart, of course, has to be Torah, what I'm seeking is Mashiach. You know, where is the direction? Where, where is Mashiach times? Like, and that's what we've got to steer the boat towards. So I, I think our job is to bring, to invite people to get on board the boat with us and then to steer it towards Mashiach times. So just to, just to be kind of clear in my response to, to Richard and to, to seek to be a little bit, a little bit robust in some way, um, the, the leadership in terms of the direction and purpose is about, is about uh, Mashiach as guided by Torah, which is fundamentally in the kind of realm of, of theology, mitzvot and divinity. Um, and then the, the kind of like our job as leaders is to um, is to work is, is we can only do that with the crew that we have. Right. And it's to work with the well, first of all, my, I've definitely got a job of teaching everyone how to read the charts. And also, I don't know how to read the charts. I like need other people to guide me in how to read the charts because I don't have all the skills. But our, our, our job is to invite other people onto the boat. I'm curious, actually, about how that metaphor resonates with Debbie. Yeah, it totally resonates because based on where you are in the ship, you can see different things, right? So um, actually people who are members of teams can see things on the ground and in terms of like interactions that I, I'm not seeing. And it always gives me a great kind of kick actually as someone who sort of stopped, who kind of was one of the people sparking this thing as an experiment that things go beyond yourself as a leader and I think that's that you know in in ways that are helpful and unhelpful I guess but it is it is a sign that things are growing and that actually there's a need I think maybe this is a, in my my world way of, of saying what Rabbi Daniel's saying is there needs to be a common language on the ship we need to be able to translate um, how does how does the skipper speak to uh, the people in the stockroom below? And you know how do we? I'm, I'm showing up my uh, ignorance about sailing now, but I, I really resonate with this idea of looking out to see. And let's face it, like what we're what we're seeing is really choppy waters, particularly in the the world we're living right now. It's scary. Um, you know, it's changeable. It's ambiguous, and people are looking for. You know, people want that sense of direction and that sense that. Um, their moral internal compass is getting nourished. And that's why that's where we came to the name Makor Haim, um, you know, as a source of life, as a place where we can come and be replenished. Um, there's lots of people who are activists in our community, lots of people who are seriously politically active, um, and we're still working on what um, our value of tzedek looks like in practice. But actually, um, when I think about um, in the in the context of the, of, of the metaphor, it's like, how do we keep our crew um, nourished enough to be flying a flag so that even other ships outside our ship can also follow and can actually be inspired by the direction we're taking which is super countercultural and super radical that, that's a wonderful extension and uh, there's, there's a metaphor for everyone and and hopefully our listeners to to play with and you've extended it beautifully beyond the one ship to others as well which is is great um, I think you've also both of you anticipated a couple of the other questions to which we'll return so 
Let, let's move on to who gets to be the leader or amongst the leaders, because in the Deuteronomy version we have here, the people seem to nominate their leaders and Moses says he'll then appoint them um, so that the people do the choosing. Back in Exodus, in Shemot, we know it was Moses who did the appointing. Um, and so I just wonder if it matters who does the choosing and how they go about doing the choosing. Um, maybe I ought to give Daniel first opportunity to speak here if you if you would like to take it, Daniel, and then Debbie can come in second. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just thinking about it. I think that um, well, we just got to go to them. We got to just go to the Mishkan, of course, about like the, the building of the Mishkan. So the, the the building of the Mishkan is fundamentally people contribute into into in, in as a result of two categories, as far as I remember. So the first one is what they're moved to contribute. And the second one is what their talents and their and their skills are. So I think that's the kind and the job of the kind of community organizing one to one and the, you know, developing relationships is for leaders to really kind of listen to what, you know, to really enable people to kind of unleash the way that they want to contribute in their talents. Um, fundamentally, most people want to want to want to want to contribute. So our job as leaders who develop other leaders is to seek to, uh, to 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 enable that and to find the ways for it. But but somehow I kind of want to also I want to also go to a kind of bit of a, a kind of deeper level in some ways around around what's what's going on in this leadership because ultimately the way that we're contributing is um, is seeking I think to kind of enact some kind of tikkun repair in the deep in the in the soul of the individual and in the community and then in the wider world and it's really important for me to see kind of all of these things operating operating at the same time. So I guess ultimately we've got to go back to the story of Moshe, right? So like how's Moshe, um, you know, Moshe is like defined by this anger that he experiences and he doesn't understand it. And it's when guided by Yitro, he has this soul encounter where he comes to understand that that, um, that, that anger that he experiences is actually holy and can actually pursue a holy thing. So, so I guess the, and this is why any of the this is why I really want to I really want to think about leadership in a synagogue context, specifically to a synagogue context where we're operating as a Jewish organization guided by Torah with a vision of going towards Mashiach times, because it, because everything that we do in the synagogue, um, or all, all the daven, like all of the kind of tefillah, like all of the kind of spiritual practice side of what we do in in in, in shul, is all geared towards enabling us to be able to be better able to be with whatever wounds are that we carry and to learn through years and years of committed spiritual practice how to turn the wound into a gift that we can that, that we can bring to something else so that's why that the davening that we do is integrated with the leadership because the purpose of the dub well not the purpose but one of the things that might please god inshallah happen through the davening is that we learn more about our wound and then through our leadership in the community we, we, we learn how to turn the wound into the gift. And, uh, and I know that actually Debbie's got awesome systems to help articulate what I just said in a different language that might be more, make more sense. So yeah, I'd love to hear from Debbie. I mean, I love this because, I mean, for context, Rabbi Daniel and I, um, Daniel and I have been friends for many, many years and also in Hebrata about this kind of in an informal and formal way for many, many years. So it gives me, it lights me up to hear what you describe it in this way. 
um, thinking of all the conversations we've had that have, have, and you've had with others that have led to it. So some things are dawning for me. So one is, I think it's the sign of a growing startup that you have to change the, 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 operate, the, the organizational system, right? So if you're uh, just, you know, uh, was it three, three people in a boat, three men in a boat um, from, you know, if it's, if it's three people in a boat, you know, it's going to look very different if it's 300 people on a boat. So there is some something about this, the scope and scale of what both of the number of people involved and also the vision and what's required that sometimes requires us to rethink how we um, how we organize. And I think that there is this tension, isn't there, between um, talent spotting and um, democracy in a sense of like, do we, you know, in our, in our community, I think we've, we, we elect senior leaders in a sense, but the way that we're organized is around, as, as Rabbi Daniel says, how do we bring people's strengths and talents to the fore within the realms of their capacity? So that's really that motivation piece of making sure that there's enough drive and excitement and, um, and self-centeredness going on as well as not burning out. It's really, really important to us that our leaders don't don't burn out because it's happened, I, I don't know, it happens and it's happened so many times in um, in organizations I've been in. So I think um, perhaps to speak to Rabbi Daniel's uh, expression of uh, how do we heal the wounds, I think maybe looking at it the other way is, um, you know, how through leading can people, and this is part of our vision, people cultivate compassion, cultivate understanding and wisdom, cultivate ways to transform their anger a la Moshe with Yitro's support um, to, to be a, an invitation to a bigger vision or to boundaries, right? Anger, anger is the messenger of boundaries. Anger tells us when our boundaries have been crossed. So when we've been crossed, how do we regather ourselves and then actually project a new vision into the world? So, uh, my, you know, something that when we worked on the vision and values of Makoheim, I really wanted to be in there was um, we are in the practice of be, becoming more just, kind and compassionate, uh, just kind, compassionate, loving human beings um and the leadership is not separate from that if i've been in communities where it's all about that but in the leadership uh, sphere people are sniping and they're complaining and they're um there isn't that sense that the leadership is the practice is the thing that's transforming us so i i've seen it um so beautifully um unfold that people who take things on um, are, are confounded by challenges and it's through those challenges with the right support from those of us who are kind of um, either in official or unofficial leadership positions. Um, and also that goes, actually, Rabbi Daniel has lots to say on this. We have elders in our community. So our community was started through an experiment between an, an older established community and a young itinerant community. And we have elders among us who might not be taking on formal leadership roles, but are enormous sources of knowledge, experience, Torah, you know, guidance. Um, so I, I really want to emphasize that it doesn't have to be leadership in a formal capacity, but we we constantly need to to have systems that allow us to and practice that allows us to turn towards those sources to get the support like like Yitro offers, um, like Moshe's inner voice offers, um, so that we can cultivate those those qualities and motivations and and heal, as Rabbi Daniel has has really beautifully said. 
Thank you both. Uh, there's a lot of richness in there and I'm, I'm just going to leave it there, I think, for people to ponder. And the advantage, of course, of any podcast is if you haven't got it all once, you can go back and listen to it again. So these these messages sometimes need uh, absorbing a couple of times and, and that's wonderful. We touched on translating, we touched on different contexts, we touched on uh, synagogue specific leadership and so on and and I'm very mindful that we're sitting here recording in a week when um, the leadership of the England football team on the pitch and off the pitch has been in the media the contrasting of that with other forms of leadership has been gaining column inches and podcast minutes and so on um, and I just wonder if we could, if I could ask you both to, to dwell a little bit on to what extent different contexts require different leaders and different leadership styles. Something you touched on, Debbie, just now with the three in the boat or the 300 in the boat. Um, but there's also about they're still in a boat, if you like. If you're not in a boat, if you're somewhere else, does that change the task if you've got three or 300? Um, and is that a complete difference or are there fundamentals that you believe should be applying anywhere and everywhere? So, Debbie, maybe I'll come to you first for this one. Yeah, such a great question. So I think the thing I was thinking about as you outlined this, Richard, and particularly in our, our current world that we live in, is this idea from the Musar tradition of cultivating qualities in which I learned um, from my wonderful teacher, Justin Wise, that humility in the original sense of the word in that kind of, that, that tradition is not about making yourself small, it's about making yourself right-sized. So if you are someone who is who tends towards the grandiose, being reflective enough to bring yourself back to earth. If you are someone who tends towards being so modest and meek that you don't get to share the fullness of your gifts, um, then it's tending towards stepping out and being brave and being courageous. So I think my role as a coach and my role as a, as a coach in residence when I'm working with organizations is to really try to distill what, what where someone is in their kind of right sizeness, and usually it can be both in the same person. There might be a kind of a lot of busyness and doing and like managing people and people are sort of excelling, but also there's a there's a smallness in um in them around um feeling brave enough to you know advocate for a higher salary or advocate for um for things they believe in, you know, inclusion, whatever it might be, because, you know, they don't feel like they have the business case for it. So there can be all kinds of ways in which we can play big and small at the same time. So what I'm not saying is, you know, some people are arrogant and some people are hiding under a rock. That's, that's not it. Um, but I, I do think, speaking to your moral integrity point earlier, Richard, and speaking to Rabbi Daniel's sense that, um, that we're, we're trying to head towards a, a vision of a future that is better, um, you know, there needs to be moral integrity in um, the way that leaders act. And that means, I'm not going to get into the many qualities, but it does mean that as a leader, you must be a learner. There is no way to lead through ambiguity, change, to, to be able to pick up new ways of being 
to be coachable, to be um, open to hearing things which are difficult, to be able to sit with the discomfort of being a beginner, even as an expert, that to me really is that underlying thing that a leader needs to be able to do. Thank you, Debbie. And and you you brought to mind one of the, the concepts I encountered in my pre-rubinic career, you know, of, of the, the sort of reverse mentoring that was being introduced, where um, younger people in, and people generally lower down in a large organisation would be mentoring the, the directors about things like social media, new trends, that sort of thing. So, And that what that's creating is a culture of, you know, anyone anywhere in the organisation can have something to teach someone else in the organisation because they see things differently. And, and you've you've captured that sort of idea beautifully in, in terms of how we all of us need to be learners. Daniel, how's all this striking you? Oh, I, I really enjoyed hearing that story about reverse reverse mentoring. It was great. Um, yeah, I was I was I was just reflecting on, um, on yeah, Debbie was saying about the need for moral integrity and about where does you know where does one get where does one how does one cultivate the ability to have moral integrity or where does moral integrity come from or where does m- morality come from? And the I guess the question that I would want to ask of the leaders that we you know Richard was referring to these kind of examples in the in the news at the moment and these comparisons of different leadership ultimately the question is like who's who is a leader serving like you know what 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 are we being in service of as uh, as leaders and moral integrity will come from being in service of that which is conducive or translucent to some kind of some kind of morality um, and so I think that's what we should always ask ourselves so, you know what are different leaders serving um, you know, we and, and people who are listening will be able to make their own conclusions that are pretty spot on, probably, about what the, the, our political leadership is serving at the moment. Which idols are they serving? And uh, and the, uh, the the example of the, you know, I, I don't know. I was very struck by the leadership of Gareth Southgate following the following the football match and the kind of sense of um, a sense of the responsibility and the even the humility that that he, he kind of like took through. I, I haven't actually read any of the commentaries on him. I was just, just kind of my own reaction to watching his interview but I, I had a sense of you know here is a leader who has a kind of understanding of what he's of what he's serving and the kind of that, it, that, it, that it's that it's bigger than, than, the, than the obvious and I guess that's just always the question for us is just to continue to orient towards what we're in service of and um you know and I, I, I somehow I don't know why but I'm in like quite a god mood today it seems it's kind of surprising or, or not surprising uh, but it's you know it's ultimately about being in for, for, for me as a rabbi and for in my leadership of our shul it's about being in service of being in service of the divine on the way to on the way to Mashiach time. Thank, thank you Daniel and uh, I think Lawrence Kushner is one of the the rabbis and teachers who's talked about one of the reasons that God is there is to remind us a that we're not God so it's a check on our own arrogance um, and, and B, it is a means of realising that we are, uh, we need to be focusing on something other than ourselves. Um, and both of those are important points. Come on, Daniel, you want to... Yeah, yeah I, I'd love to come back on that. I mean, I just, it, 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 this may be kind of off topic, but it's just, I think it's quite, I, it feels important to me to respond. Um, the question that you just asked then, Richard, is why is God, you know, why is God there? And you gave two kind of functionalist explanations about like, 
why what the function of god is what, what the function of god is god is there because god is there like moshe met god at the burning bush am yisrael which includes us met god at mount sinai i don't know if i've i don't know if i've met god but i live my life in reference to those stories anytime i dub in the amidah i play uh, the first bracha i place myself back i imagine myself with moshe at the burning bush anytime i study torah imagine myself at sinai anyway i just had to kind of respond in the sense of like god is there because god is there and it's, it's really hard to talk about and i mean in our community it's kind of interesting that we're really committed to being led by our vision and our vision doesn't mention god the word god in it at all our, our vision doesn't mention god at all because because our community because our whole the whole thing is about because we i mean it's, it's kind of impossible to speak about god and in fact one should be very nervous and it, one should be very, very careful about even daring to speak about God. And I'm very nervous about speaking about God, which is why I, which is why I try and focus on Torah and mitzvot and, you know, practices. Um, but ultimately, like, I, 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 I'm ultimately a theological realist. And, you know, in the sense that I kind of have a sense of, of a divine. And that permeates any, anything I do in my leadership as a, as a rabbi of the community is, is informed by that. And if I might build on that, yes, God is there because God is there in an ineffable sense. And um, for me, I think God is present in relationships and in the relationships, um, because if we believe that, um, you know, there are sparks within each person, um, you know, possibly infinite sparks to be cultivated and uh, set free then encountering people through that lens um, brings all kinds of possibility. But also speaking about Torah, I've been really um, amazed at what comes when I have committed, like really been both feet in with putting myself in the shoes of uh, characters from the Torah and relating to God or to others from that place, right? And that's something I help people do as a coach is relate from a new ground or a new metaphor, a new narrative. I found it super powerful just to give a couple of examples. Um, when I used to do interfaith and anti-racism work in schools, stepping into the identity of, of Esther and actually being, you know, the, a, a, the only Jew in the, for miles around, but in a sense, speaking truth and, 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 and being very judicious about how I, I spoke, um, but doing so with, with full trust that, um, I was I was building possibility in those spaces and then um, something that Rabbi Daniel offered me in very recently um, has been around uh, Joseph and that's something I never really understood was you know because Joseph is painted as this kind of golden boy a we don't really see how he's extra ostracized because he is different and also possibly um, queer possibly uh, gender non-binary there's there's all kinds of ways to read that but in a sense because it all works out in the end, I've never really sat with Joseph being in the pit when his brothers have abandoned him, not knowing how it's gonna turn out and, and somehow keeping alive the flame of his uniqueness and the fact that only his unique voice can really save people in the end, how he kept that flame alive. And I think that for me was an, a great learning about leading in adversity, even when you feel like you have been misunderstood, maligned, you know, uh, slandered, all those things. Um, so I think there's great power for us as leaders of if we're really willing to go there, stepping into the shoes of these, these, these um, 
our ancestors and learning how to relate to others, the world and the divine through that. That, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for bringing that in. And, and it struck me that as, as you talked about Joseph in the pit, you know, we, we can see this teenager um, with all the, um, the excitement of youth and the brilliance and, and so on into the pit, then comes out again, sold as a slave, rises again in Potiphar's household and then ends up down again. And the second time has the resilience to be there for quite some time before he he comes out and then is able to to flourish and i guess that takes me to the to the last question we'll have time for and we may need to be very quick in the answers for this one um is that journey that we just described for joseph might feel like the journey that everyone has been on through this covid pandemic and i just wonder if um you and we talked earlier and you you used the phrase about the choppy waters that we're in at the moment um, and having to navigate our way through and I wonder if uh, in your coaching Debbie and Daniel from Torah um, or you can swap that over in whichever way you want to respond that's also fine uh, what what are the things that you would suggest people need to keep in their mind at the moment especially in, if they're in any form of leadership and relationship with other people? Oof. I mean, couldn't we write a book on this? But here's, here's, a few, um, here's a few nuggets that I hope can be of service. So one is that as leaders, we need to be taking seriously exquisite care of ourselves, that there are so many demands on us and taking exquisite care of ourselves means making sure we're touching in with what really motivates us and brings us joy, as well as those things that just crop up and we have to deal with. That's going to happen, you know, changing business markets or in synagogue life, you know, drama and crisis and, um, and, and divergence. That's going to happen. But really making sure that you make space for me, that's making sure that I sing, um, making sure that I sing in community, making sure that I show up to Shabbat services when I can um, and, and that I get to coach leaders too. Um, I would say leaders really need to be spacious, to be able to create space for the immense sorrow and loneliness and loss of this time that is bringing tears to my eyes, even if, as I name it, because it feels so infinite and mysterious and real um, among the people that we serve. And we need to create space for the joy. There are weddings happening this summer. There are baby blessings. There are um, sources of great um, joy, which might be somewhat muted by, by restrictions and by things, but people are thirsty for joy. They're absolutely craving it. So how can we do that? We had a little bit of joy at our summer party. We got gathered in person for the first time in, in 16 months this weekend. Um, and then finally, I think, I think how, how we cultivate that spaciousness perhaps for that is by you know creating spaciousness within ourselves having some kind of spiritual practice um for me it's sitting meditation it's qigong practice um and it's uh, singing to really and writing i i write um i blog so uh, and i write poetry so i think having those ways in which and sharing circles too like there's you know choose your own adventure but really to create spaciousness for ourselves so that our whole selves can be included as leaders 
um, and we're not going into martyrdom territory or kind of self-aggrandizing, but really being in the work of stepping into um, powerful leadership uh, really requires us to be spacious enough. And that takes practice. Thank you, Debbie. There are some real nuggets in there that I will certainly take away and I'll have to listen again to make sure I've captured all of them. Daniel, how about you? I, I just think Debbie, what Debbie says is absolutely wonderful. Um, I, I'll just continue the, the work of translation. Um, basically, as I was listening to Debbie speaking, what I heard was do mitzvahs. Just do mitzvahs. <laughs> and when I say mitzvahs, I don't mean in the Yiddish sense of mitzvah. I mean in the sense of like Shabbat, keep Shabbat, daven. That's what I mean. So the in the sense, and, and what, what, what's so, what, the reason why the language of mitzvah is a really powerful, I, I find a very powerful, way of kind of listening to what Debbie was saying is that if we frame some of what Debbie said as mitzvah, then it then it has the quality of command, right? Which is like, and I guess a lot of what Debbie said can be is a kind of like a different categories under the mitzvah, mitzvah of Shabbat. You know, the mitzvah of um, of, uh, of replenishment, of yunafesh, right? Of to be resold. Um, so if we, and yeah, mitzvah means it has the force of command. And so in those moments of this sense of like, oh, well, I shouldn't do that because of X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, God is telling you to do it in the Torah. And it's also a deed from which sows the seeds of more goodness than you can even imagine. And that gives us the mitzvah goreret, mitzvah type of idea that one good deed, one thing leads to another and and that creates a culture itself and and i guess if leadership is about anything it's about the the culture of how do things happen around here what you know what what makes things work here and we want that culture to be one that is refreshing and and is is about vayinafash for people daniel you you wanted to respond. Yeah, I, just to be really pernickety, uh, I just, when it mitzvah gorer at mitzvah, I, I don't, do not translate that as one good deed leads to another. One act, which is an observance of a commandment from God, leads to another, meaning, so let's rephrase that. One act that is in service of the bigness leading towards Mashiach times leads to another act that is in service of the bigness leading towards Mashiach times. Thank you. Thank you. And with that encouragement, I think, for everyone listening to take that sort of act um, and see that as being personal leadership, whatever your status, whatever your stature, whatever your formal role or informal role or whatever, we, we can all be leaders through our acts. And maybe that's the inspiration that we need to, to, to move forward with. So I'm going to say a massive thank you to both Daniel and Debbie for taking us through such uh, a journey of ideas, of nuggets, of thoughts, of bringing together some of the experience that comes from Torah with some of the experience that comes from the, uh, the, the wider world of organisations in whatever sector they are as well and giving us so much to take um, away with us from this podcast so Daniel thank you Debbie thank you very much and I shall look forward to plenty of more conversations with both of you thank you so much thank you yeah how wonderful
My thanks on everyone's behalf go to our guests this week, Rabbi Daniel Lichman and Debbie Danon. Our thanks also go to Liberal Judaism, Reform Judaism and Leobet College for supporting Progressively Jewish. And also to you, our listeners, for making this effort worthwhile. Please do send us your questions so that we can build future episodes on your interests, concerns and feedback. Leave a comment with your podcast provider or send an email to progressivelyjewish at gmail.com or you can go to our Facebook page. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to Progressively Jewish and encourage your friends to do the same. In next week's episode, we will move to the parasha of Va'et Hanan and we'll be exploring the theme of Torah. Thank you.